0: y'all hot? (laughs) Will you crank that thing down? Because I'm going to have to turn my fan on up here. It's not much of a fan. Merry Christmas to y'all. Isn't it great to be here today and sing these songs and just revel in the love of our Lord to come down, to be man, to go to the cross? Boy, what a great time this is. Uh, Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, which gives us the option to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we think about the psalmist that said, What is my man that thou art mindful of him? When we pause to think of our Lord Jesus Christ stepping out of glory to become a man, go to the cross, and purchase our so great salvation, we are full of joy and wonder and gratitude. So we pray that as we focus upon his birth today, that you will help us to focus and show us a true sense of appreciation. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I went to a conference outside of Dallas recently, and every speaker was a Ph.D. And one speaker that started it uh, kind of surprised me with what he was, uh, how he started his, his speech or his, his message. So much so that I thought I'd start mine the same way today. And it might be a little surprising to you. Uh, I'm going to quote a few lines from The Grinch That Stole Christmas. <laughs> and I, when these things like uh, cartoon things come on about Christmas, I can't turn the TV off fast enough. I hate those things. But, uh, and I think there's maybe one about The Grinch, but <clears throat> I thought this pretty neat. I, I have in my car right now the book, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, which I haven't read yet, but I'm going to read it to my um, grandchildren. These are a few lines. I don't know where they come in the, in the book or in the program, but here it goes. pooh poo on the who's. He was grinchingly humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They just, they're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the whos down in Whoville will all cry boo-hoo. That's a noise, a noise, the Grinch said, that I simply must hear. So he paused and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started to out low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad, why, this Sound "...sounded glad. Every who in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came! Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling, how could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without bags. It came without packages, boxes, or tags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. (laughs) Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought about before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. (laughs) Anyway... I thought that might be a a good way to start. Tell you the truth, I can't can't wait to read this to my grandchildren, find out how it all comes out. (coughs) Well, you know, we have a lot of traditions uh, around Christmas time, and I'm going to go through some things for the sake of accuracy with regards to what the Bible says about Christ's birth. And in doing so, I'm afraid I might burst a few bubbles, and I'm sorry about that, but we do have to be accurate, don't we? To show you how crazy some of our um, traditions are, we we see Barbara Streisand, who is a Jew, who sings Ave Maria, which is a Catholic song venerating Mary on Christmas to Celebrate Christ's birthday. That's pretty pretty wild in itself. Uh, we see these crushes out and about. And nothing wrong with crushes. I like them. But the problem is they're just not accurate. And, um, George, if you'll kill the lights up here for just a moment, please, sir. I have a, a few pictures of crushes to show you what I'm talking about. Here we have... Um, Joseph and Mary. I hadn't noticed this before. What happened to Jesus? <laughs> I wouldn't have showed that one if I... <laughs> I was going to point to Jesus and he wasn't there. Well, <laughs> we know that one's not accurate.
1: <laughs>
0: when I first read this, it said, My Christmas, as creche, my Christmas crash." Okay. Here's the three kings, and I get—I guess, guess this is Joseph and Mary. I'm not sure who this is, but um, here's one. We have the uh, king here, Mary. It looks like Jesus is in here and the star and so forth. Here's one. Uh, we have the kings, and it's kind of dark over here. I think this is Joseph here. I don't know what he's doing. It he looks like a Catholic priest, but.
1: It...
0: <laughs> this is, of course, I guess, was a live one. Here's one that um, you have. This has got to be Joseph and Mary because they have the halos. You've got the kings over here, and this is not what angels look like, by the way. <laughs> We've even got this one. we got the three dog kings over here. Here's the dog shepherd. These are dog sheep. Joseph and Mary, the star. You get the idea. So when it comes to traditions, uh, not so accurate, but, you know, they give it a shot. So what I'm going to do today is to um, go through Luke chapter 2, a few verses there, and also Matthew chapter 2. Now, one thing you might have noticed in those creches, that every one of them had some kings in it. You know, we sing the song, beautiful song, uh, We Three Kings. And they always have the kings at the, at the uh, site where uh, Christ was born in the manger. And the problem with that is that it just ain't so. At least with regards to the scriptures, it's not so. Because the shepherds, which you see that account in Luke chapter 2, and the wise men account is in Matthew chapter 2. They never met each other because the wise men did not come to see Jesus until it's it estimated about two years later. And in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says he came to the house. And we suppose that Christ was probably somewhere in the vicinity of two years old. So um, that's one uh, thing that um, we're, we're going to see that they just don't have correct. And when we look at the shepherds, we, we need to note a few things about the shepherds. Um, sometimes I think about when when Christ came to earth and was born. We're talking about the God of the universe, the God that has created all things. If you gave that to Hollywood, think what they would do. The other day I was watching, uh, uh, well, I wasn't watching it, but I walked by and this it's called X Factor. Is on. It's kind of like a uh, what is that other singing? Uh, yeah, American Idol. But uh, it's and this guy was doing a song and all the lights and the smoke and I mean it must have cost five hundred thousand dollars just for what they were doing on what they were doing when he was singing a song. Now if they would do that just for a song, what would they do when God becomes man? Well. Just think of the spectacular extravaganza that would take place. But that's not our God's way, is it? Born in a remote little small town called Bethlehem. No fanfare other than the the shepherds did get a visit from the angels, but the people in Bethlehem, they had no idea what was going on. And in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it says, But as far as you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that is, there was more than one Bethlehem, and he had to say which one it was, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Wow. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now this is Micah that made this prophecy. 700 years before Christ was going to be born. That's a pretty neat trick, is it not? Just think if you, now you really have to fantasize here, but let's say that we're still here 700 years from now. That the United States is still functioning 700 years from now. How close do you think you would be to guess the birthplace of the president? That's about the same as, you got about the same chances of winning the lottery, right? And yet here you have uh, Micah that is giving this and he gives the details about it. Now, the shepherds were not normal shepherds. The sheep were not normal sheep. There wasn't anything that was normal about what was going on that night or even in that place. Uh, If you go to Genesis chapter 35 verse 21... You'll find an interesting phrase there. Genesis chapter 35, verse 21. Just a short verse. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Underline the Tower of Eder. In the Hebrew, that's called Migdal Eder. M-I-G-D-A-L and then Eder is E-D-E-R. Migdal means tower and Eder means flock. So it's talking about the Tower of the Flock. It's also given in two or three other uh scriptures uh, in Micah chapter four verse eight but I want to say a little bit about this tower uh, first of all um, this was a tower that was outside of Jerusalem and it was uh everybody is like a, a a place where you could you could see it was a standard in other words if you were out and about and you didn't know exactly where you are you could look at the tower and know get your bearings, and so forth. Well, outside of that uh, Migdal Eder, that tower of the flock, is where the, the shepherds were, somewhere in that vicinity, and they were tending their sheep. Now, the sheep that they were tending were not normal sheep. They were sacrificial lambs. Sacrificial lambs, you know, had to be absolutely perfect. And they had to be there, they were there year round. So I don't know when Christ was born, and some people say, well, it couldn't be in uh, the middle of the winter like that because they brought the sheep in. They didn't bring these sheep in. These were going to be the sheep that were going to be offered as sacrifices on the altar in Jerusalem. You see a little typology here? So they were very uh, special sheep, and they had to be born there. They had to be born in that pasture, and then they would be sacrificed on the altar in Jerusalem. As far as the shepherds go, the shepherds were Torah-trained. That means they were uh, trained in the Old Testament, in the law. And they were Levite priests according to Jewish tradition that you find in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is just a compilation of laws and traditions that the Jews have. So, you have special shepherds and you have special sheep. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, it says, As for you, tower of the flock, that would be Migdal Eder, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come, even the farmer domination will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, what this is talking about with regards to this tower is a a location point in Jerusalem. And when it says it will come, this is a promise to the Jews that the domination and the prosperity that they had at one time is going to return. It's going to return to uh, Jerusalem. The propriety of the use of the term uh, tower of the flock is seen when we remember that David was a shepherd, before he was a king, and that the Israelites are called sheep of the Lord's pasture. It wouldn't be just perfect for that to be a perfect place for the Lamb of God to be born in that area, for the angels to come to that place. Jerusalem people, the the Jerusalem's people, are addressed as the watchtower of the flock. How about that? That's in... uh, uh, much as the shepherd watches his sheep or a farmer views his crops from a tower, uh, so Jerusalem will watch over the nation. And if you want some verses for with regards to that, it's Isaiah forty, verse eleven, Jeremiah thirteen, seventeen and twenty, Micah five four, Zechariah ten three. Now won't y'all just go to Micah four eight because you can make some notations there in your Bible. As for you, Tower of the Flock. I was surprised. I got some of this information when I was at that conference. And he didn't say Tower of the Flock until the, nearly the whole thing was over. He was talking about Migdal Eater. And I thought, Migdal Eater? And some of the people, oh yeah, Migdal Eater, right? No idea, some I, big doll eater. I thought some big guy that did a lot of eating. I didn't know what it was. So you have daughter of Zion in Micah four eight. underline that daughter of Zion and the daughters of Jerusalem. They refer to the city's inhabitants in Isaiah one eight jeremiah four thirty one lamentations one six. Micah 1.13 and Zechariah 9.9. By the way, another thing there's no mention of a star in this whole time with regards to the account in Luke chapter 2 with regards to the shepherds. Nothing about a star. I don't think that the, the magi, the wise men, and the shepherds ever met. Here's an interesting thing along those lines. The Lamb of God was born in a manger where the baby lambs were sheltered and the Lamb became the Shepherd, capital L, capital S. That's the one and only time that the Lamb became the Shepherd. I am an under-Shepherd. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Shepherd. Well, what about the kings? We three kings of Orient are. Well, I hate to tell you there were no kings. There were no kings that came to Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Matthew never says these were kings. What is known for certain is that there were, they were not kings because they were given a specific title. In the Greek, it's called Magoi or Magi. And that is not a designation for a king. That's melech. It means wise men, or more specifically, astronomers. So you have astronomers that come up in Matthew chapter 2. No kings. And we don't know how many. We know there was at least two because it's in the plural. But I think there was many more than two. Or even three. You know why some people think there were three? Nearly every one of these creches, you'll see three kings. Well, they think, well, there were three gifts. And so each one had a, had a gift. And so there were probably three kings. Uh, kings. excuse me. Well, I think that's a crop. I don't believe that anybody is going to set out on a journey in that day and time that would go that far with just three people. You would have to have a group of people because their safety in numbers and they would have a a lot of duties along the way. We don't know how many. There could have been ten. There could have been a hundred. There could have been five hundred. We have no idea knowing. But they were not kings, and there was more than two, but not necessarily three. Now, the, the gifts that they brought, they are interesting. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold is representative or a symbol of kingship. It emphasizes that Yeshua, Jesus, was a king at His birth. The frankincense is a symbol of deity. It was part part of the mixture of the incense. When they would burn the incense in the tabernacle or in the temple on the altar of incense, they would burn this incense And it represented the prayers going up to God. It was in the holy place. And the smoke would go up into the presence of God Himself. So the frankincense emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ. And then the last gift was myrrh. That's spelled M-Y-R-R-H. Talk about a crazy language. Let's make it hard to spell. Let's throw another R in there. Vacuum. Anyhow, uh, myrrh was associated with the Old Testament, with death and embalming, emphasizing uh, the the sacrifice that Christ made for our sins. So they were appropriate gifts for Jesus Christ. And I don't want it to be smart. Uh, we three kings completely it gives the idea that you know these three kings came, which they weren't kings. But the last line of We Three Kings, in the last line, at least it is accurate because it says, King and God and Sacrifice. King, gold, God, frankincense, and myrrh, sacrifice. So at least they got that part right. Now these men were astrologers astrologers from the East. Typically in the Bible when it speaks of the east it's talking about Mesopotamia the area where Babylon is so we know where they came from In Matthew chapter 2:2 2, 2, it says Where is he who has been born king of the Jews for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him This is what these astrologers these wise men these magi said when they got to Jerusalem. But that raises some questions, doesn't it? How did they know that the king of the Jews had been born? Why were they interested in the Jewish king anyway? And why did they desire to worship him? Now, they didn't get all that from a star. So we know from what they said, they knew that the king of the Jews had been born And they were interested enough to make the trip and bring these gifts. And they wanted to worship him. So did they learn that from the star? Or maybe, what a better question would be, was it a star? Oh. Hmm. Didn't act like a star. It did things that stars simply do not do. It moved from east to west and then from north to south. Uh, you know, stars do travel. They travel at tremendous speeds, but they are so far distant from us that for us to see a star to move a quarter of an inch from our sight, from our vantage point, it would take about three to 5,000 years to see them move that far because they're so far away. And yet this star is moving east and west, and then it changes directions and goes north and south. star doesn't do that. Then it appears, and then it disappears. Stars don't do that. And then it hovered over a house in Bethlehem. Now that one, I don't get that one. I mean, if, if there was a star over this church tonight, if we stayed here and we camped out, I want to see which star is over this church. And you look up at that star and you say, all right, it's dead over this church. I can put a light up here straight it's right over us. People in Houston could be doing the same thing because it's so far away, you see. A star, just essentially identifying a house, just doesn't, doesn't uh, make sense. Now, if it wasn't a star, what was it? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think it very possibly could have been. How many of you have heard or even know what the Shekinah glory is? The Shekinah glory is that essence of God that is visible, the presence of God. It comes from shakan, which means to dwell. The Greek word for star is ashtera, A-S-T-E-R-A. That's a long E, that's an eta. Now, the root of the Greek word star simply means radiance or brilliance, something in the sky that is bright. The brilliant light that the astrologers were witnessing certainly was not an ordinary star and appears very possibly, if not uh, probably, was the Shekinah Glory. It's a visible manifestation. What you remember when the Israelites left Egypt and they were to follow the cloud and the fire, pillar fire, and so forth? Those were manifestations of God that include the Shekinah glory. So the pattern is already there. That that Shekinah glory was lead, was uh, leading the Israelites. Seems plausible to me that it could show up in Babylon and lead these astrologers all the way to where it turned out to Jerusalem. And then they found out from Herod where it was recorded that Jesus Christ was going to be born. Now, don't throw rocks at me or anything. I mean, I know that I told you I was going to burst some bubbles. But a star simply does not act the way that this brightness in the the sky. You know, we see star and we think, okay, it has to be a star. No, the, the Greek word just says a brightness, something luminous. And certainly that would describe the Shekinah glory. It was the Shekinah glory that dwelt between the cherub, the cherubim, and the Holy of Holies. It was bright. When the high priest went in there, how did he know what to do? The only way he knew what to do was because there was light so he could see. Boy, I wish I could just stop and throw out the anchor. I could tell you so many things about the Shekinah glory, but I've got to press on, and I'm not even going to get through. I might have to just really start skipping here in a minute not like this. There's that English language again. Um, so just determining uh, that this was possibly the Shekinah glory doesn't explain how these Gentiles knew anything about the Jewish king. The only place in the entire Old Testament that gives the information about Christ's is from the fam- famous 70 weeks of Daniel, which is in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Now we get some input about how maybe they knew about the king of the Jews and being born somewhere in that vicinity. The book of Daniel was not written in Israel. You know where it was written? In Babylon. Remember when Daniel was taken captive? He went to Babylon. That's where he wrote it. And who was he associated with? Astrologers. Remember when the king had a dream and uh, he was all bent out of shape because uh, he wanted someone to interpret the dream? Only he wasn't going to allow anyone to just make something up. He said, first of all, you have to tell me what my dream is. Then you have to interpret it for me. Well, nobody could do it. And I, who, who did he bring in? Astrologers, soothsayers and so forth. And Daniel would have died along with them had God not given him the revelation concerning the dream and so forth. So he was associated with these astrologers. It was also written in the... Much of it was written in the Aramaic language, which was the language of the Babylonians. So it was in the city of Babylon that was... uh, It was a book that was written that prophesied the Messiah was to come. Furthermore, Daniel was closely associated with all these astronomers. Uh, Daniel 1, 19 through 20. Daniel 2, 12 through 13. Daniel 2, 47. i got six more, but that's enough. Nebuchadnezzar made uh, Daniel head of the astrologers of Babylon. There is little doubt that he was able to lead many of them to saving knowledge of the God of Israel. Are you starting to make a connection here? How th- we can answer that question? How did they know all of this? They certainly didn't learn it by just looking at a star and saying, oh, well, I guess the king of the Jews has arrived. didn't happen that way. Here's another one, another piece of the puzzle. Y'all remember Balaam? Remember, Balaam was a greedy dude. He wanted to go out there and curse Israel for money. And so he went out there to curse Israel. But when he tried to curse them, God only would allow blessing to come out of his mouth. Remember that? This is a key feature in this whole thing also because... uh, Balaam, by the way, was hired by the king of Moab to curse the Jews. He came from a city called Pethar, P-E-T-H-O-R, a city on the banks of the Euphrates River next to Babylon. Ah, that's interesting. Turn to Numbers chapter 22, verse 5. Well, no, turn to Numbers 24, verse 17. Let's go there. Numbers 24, verse 17. Numbers twenty four seventeen. Now, this is Balaam who is trying to curse the Israelites, but this is what comes out of his mouth. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not nigh, not close. There shall come forth a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Egypt. Excuse me, shall rise out of Israel. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite through the corners of Moab, and break down all the sons of Tumult. Now, we don't have to break this completely down to look at all of this, but what do we find? We see something about a star of Jacob and a scepter that shall rise out of Israel. Hmm. Kind of sounds familiar with or at least can be related to what happened on that night that Christ was born, right? Jesus Christ would be the scepter that shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab. This prophecy speaks of the coming of the Jewish Messiah and relates it to a what we would say a star, but it also, the word actually means a brightness, which could very well be the Shekinah glory. By the way, the word star there in the Hebrew is kokab, K-O-K-A-B, and it simply means a luminary object in the night sky. Balaam was part of the Babylonian school of astrology. The revelation of a star in relation to the Messiah's birth came by way of Babylonian astrologer who no doubt passed the information on down to his colleagues. So you see this all this that comes from Mesopotamia, from Babylon area. Daniel was in Babylon. He, under, he knew, he prophesied about the coming of Jesus Christ. He was head of the astrologers. No doubt he had uh, witnessed to these astrologers. And it was passed down over a period of time. What I'm telling you is that is how these Gentile astrologers who came from Babylon came to Jerusalem and they were asked that question. Where is he that is born King of the Jews because we want to worship him? Do you ever stop and think about how did they know all of that? And I, I think you, it, it's when they got to Jerusalem that the Shekinah glory, if that's what it was, disappeared. And so they had to go to Herod and ask him, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Boy, did that ever set Herod. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do. Go up there to Herod, which was insanely jealous anyway. And, hey, where's the king of the Jews? he has been born. Oh, wow. And he went, and they went to the Scriptures, and they said, Oh, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they say, Okay. So they head out for Bethlehem, and what happens? The light shines again. I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said, I wonder why that went out. Why is it that that light went out? Surely there had to be a purpose in it. I think that the purpose was because it was going to bring Herod into it. Because God was going to manifest His glory again, even by that incident. Because when, when they sent Herod, the, the, the Magi, when they went to Bethlehem, Herod said, now you be sure to let me know when you find Him, because we want to come in worshiping also. Yeah, right. So, when they found Him, God came to the Magi. He let them know. Not to go back and report to Herod like he said, but he was going to give them a way out to escape. That was not any easy thing. Remember, we were talking about Migdal Eder, the towers. Jerusalem was said at that time that they had a defense surrounding it, to where there were towers all the way around the entire city of Jerusalem, out, you know, at a distance, and every tower you could see the next tower, all the way around. Now, if there were, let's say, 50, at least 50, maybe 100 or whatever it was, these magi, once they saw the Christ child and they went to leave, how did they get past these towers? They would be on the alert. Surely Herod would say, don't let them out of your sight. or "Don't." He thought he had them anyway. He let them go because he had this tower network and let all these magi left and the towers didn't even see it. I don't know. I would say that's probably pretty close to a miracle for that to happen. So again, we have God manifesting His protection, provision, His omnipotence through every aspect of this. So the question, how did the wise men know? Well, they didn't know by gazing at a star in the pseudoscience of astrology but by revelation of God as contained in the Scriptures. Huh! How about that? Even Balaam's prophecy and Daniel's were instrumental. Hence, the story of the Magi gives no validity to astrology whatsoever. There's a big difference, by the way, between astrology and astronomy anyway. Now, just to add a little caveat to this, That doesn't mean that there wasn't some celestial uh, things that were going on that were not normal. Uh, Some of you may have checked out the video, The the Star of Bethlehem. It it could be very well that there were celestial things that were lining up and doing things that might have alerted the uh, astrologers, the magi, to some degree, but that's not where they got the information. That could have gone along. It could have been happening. And still, it could have been the Shekinah glory of God that led them to, first of all, Jerusalem. Got King Herod involved in it. And the next thing you know, it showed up again and went over the house. And it was. Uh, Christ was about two years old, they assume, about that, that uh, age at that time. And. So I'm not trying to break any bubbles, but I think we do need to be uh, accurate. One thing I don't want you to do. I know when you leave this place, there's no telling who you're going to see. You're probably going to see family members. And if someone is giving the Christmas account or someone mentions the star of Bethlehem, Please don't say, no, it wasn't a star, it's kind of glory. Don't do that. What I hope you do is show the love, the patience, and the glory that you reflect God's glory as we leave this place to go see family members and wherever you go. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have not only the honor, but the duty to represent Him. I hope that you will be looking for opportunities to talk to people, whether it's about the birth of Christ or whether why He came. And if anybody says, well, I just love baby Jesus, say, well, yeah, you know what? That baby Jesus is the one that created the whole thing. He was controlling the earth while he was in the crib. He was omnipotent and omniscient while he was yet a baby. He is the one that is exalted above all names. I'm looking forward to being with my family and others when we leave, but I'm also going to be looking for opportunities. Opportunities to give what the meaning of Christmas is all about, that Jesus Christ came to earth on a mission. The mission wasn't to show us how we can have better lives. The mission was to get to the cross. Even in the manger, they, the, the angels told the shepherds that there will be a sign. The sign was going to be that there would be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. And the swaddling clothes were strips of material. And they would, they would wrap the babe in that. Probably to keep him clean. To keep him warm. But that same type of cloth is what they wrap a corpse in. He was identified with death even in his birth. So... Uh, it's customary for me at this time to ask everyone please to bow your head and close your eyes. We have a lot of visitors here this morning. By the way, I welcome all of you. I haven't seen a lot of you in, in years and years. Some of you haven't seen at all. You're very welcome here. We're glad you came. But this last portion of this message is dedicated to anyone that is here and really haven't connected the dots. They, they know that Jesus was a special person but they still are not sure what's going to happen to them after they die. And the good news, the best news you'll ever hear, is that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He went to the cross and He died for your sins. He was buried and He was resurrected. And now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. That's the greatest gift. The Lamb became a shepherd and God gave Himself. The way that you appropriate that gift is simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment that you quit trusting in your own works and you trust in the perfect work of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for you, for us, you're born again and your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. Then it's time to start cracking, start percolating, start getting into the Word, learning doctrine, and find out what this is all about and how to be a good and faithful servant. Now, Father, we thank You so much for this time that we have to focus upon our Lord's birth. He had to become man. He had to be born of a virgin. All these things had to happen for our so great salvation. So we pray that we will have the proper appreciation and just have nothing but hallelujahs in our heart as we not only on this day but every single day and that you will go with us and help us to be good and faithful servants and witnesses for the rest of this day especially. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.